Welcome to Girl Talk with Girl Spot, the podcast run by women and a gremlin, dedicated to talking all about all things games, books, and movies. Movies. How you can tell we don't pre-record this shit? I mean, technically we do, but at the same time, no, we don't. Um. So this month, month, we are talking about the ultimate nerd experiences, being Dungeons and Dragons and live-action role-playing, also known as LARPing. Um, my name is Oracle Arcana. You will commonly hear people refer to me as Oracle or Arc or Arcana, but that one's very rare. Um, one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is the favorite, our favorite characters that we've actually played as. For me, my favorite one to play as has been my tiefling rogue warlock that it was level 13 when he sadly passed out of my own out of his own sheer stupidity and also stubbornness and also mine um named damian morningstar uh timeless uh i'm timeless storm i'm mostly referred to as timeless uh, the occasional person calls me storm uh, and my favorite uh, character that I've played is probably Karnas, my kobold fighter. I have a monk named Solara that I played. I love playing monks, um, but I think I've had the most fun with Karnas because he's just this chaotic little bean, and I love him, and he's adorable. And he's also Damien's best friend. He's Damien's best friend. Although Larry would probably contend with that. Probably. Brian. And I'm Brian. Timeless Storm's husband. That's right. We have a guest tonight. We have Timeless Warden, who Haley stole the name from. It's a story for another time. Mm. Next month, probably. Yeah, actually, next month would be a good good one. Name stealing? Well, next month's about relationships. So I can stole your name after you started your relationship. Where she stole it before. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, what do you like Brian? to play, Brian? Favorite character that you played. Oh, play. sorry. My favorite character that I've played was probably Davlos Longflute. He was a little. Uh, was he a halfling or a gnome? He was a halfling. He was a little halfling bard that was a uh, master at the Skies Kits. And he just dressed up as a duck and. Had pretty much everyone ruled for quite a while that he was just an actual magical duck. That was fun. That fucking gnome. Halfling. I would want to call him a gnome because he reminds me of another fucking half, a bard. That is a gnome. And you know which bard I am referring to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dabble long, long bottom. The, uh, senior. Sure, yes. Which which one are you referring to for our viewers? <laughs> I'm referring to Scanlan Shorthalt. Oh, yeah, I haven't... Davlos isn't as bad as Scanlan is, as far as his, uh, horny nature, but... Look, Scanlan is horny as shit. 
I slapped Toothless's ass that one time. Okay, but that that's was just different. Out of pure... I don't even remember what the context of that was. I think it was because we, you got a shot off about on something. I don't even remember. But uh, we were hiding from the dragon when it first attacked us, and yeah, two small characters dove underneath the cart for protection. And I used her ass as like a brace for my crossbow. Crossbow. That's weapon. right. <laughs> and I got a crit, so I was like, ah, damn, and I slap her. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But he's not like that as far as Stanley goes, but as far as being a little shit goes, he is comparable to Scanlan. And that's not a, that's not an insult, it's just a hmm. Even though I know you didn't take inspiration from that. Um so the first thing and the best place to start would probably be talking about where D&D got its start. So, timeless. D&D was created by Gary Gygax back in the 1970s. He, back in the 70s, war games were really popular, which were like, they were tabletop games where people could get together and they had little figures, they had their minis, and they would basically reenact wars that happened in real life, like World War II or something, for example. And Gary really liked this. He also really liked The Hobbit. And he's like, why can't we reenact fantasy wars in our in our war games? And so he came up with uh, the concept of reenacting fantasy wars and that evolved into what we now know as Dungeons and Dragons. And back in the early days of Dungeons and Dragons, what we know as halflings were or halfling, yeah. Halflings yeah. were hobbits. Uh and he also took a few other names from The Hobbit. And uh J.R.R. Tolkien's estate didn't like that. So they sent him a cease and desist and be like, you got to change some of these names around. Um, and now the letter, the cease and desist letter is actually in the Wizards of the Coast office in Seattle. Last I heard. Um, the original company was called TSR. Or TSR Inc. And over the years, it's been bought by other D&D has been bought by other companies and is owned by Wizards of the Coast currently. It's inspired a bunch of other medias like World of Warcraft, 100% came from D&D. Uh, Magic the Gathering also came from D&D. In fact, uh, back in the earlier days of Magic the Gathering, the creator of Magic the Gathering wanted to work with uh, the D&D people and the D&D people said no. Of course, now there's a book, a D&D source book or whatever, that takes place in the universe of Magic the Gathering. And there are D&D-related Magic the Gathering cards, I think. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there have been movies and TV shows inspired by it. In the 80s, we had the Satanic Panic um, Which actually, ironically that you're mentioning that, I 
the thing I just sent you. It's a link from Facebook. And I'm sure during our, when you see this on YouTube, you'll get to see the pictures from it. That's some story relating to Satanic Panic. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen it a while back. And it's like, oh, that's actually a really cool thing. And I just remembered it now. Um, oh yeah, and D&D has also said when it comes to movies, it's said to be cursed. Because any movie that has ever come out based on Dungeons and Dragons has done horribly. And there was also that cartoon show that I, I never saw. Um, but I feel like it didn't do super well either. I can't... They fight Tiamat episode one. What? They fight Tiamat episode one. Oh, oh God. <laughs> um, we should watch it just for the guffs. Yes, no. I, I I'm done with that. I can't, they can't say everything related to D&D has done poorly as far as movies and TV shows go. Because there was a show that Felicia Day did for a long while that I feel like it was related to D&D. And that was really popular for the time that it was airing. Now, I know it wasn't on regular um Media. I, yeah, like, I was mostly referring to like movies and TV shows. YouTube is a whole other oh, thing. Was it on YouTube? Was it YouTube? I thought it was on YouTube. It was YouTube. Oh, was it? I think mm-hmm. it was on Netflix or something. I mean, it may have eventually got got put on Netflix oh, for a while. Oh, it probably okay. started on their own hosted server. Yeah, pro- probably on Geek and Sundry, and then I don't know. I. I Genuinely thought it was. I genuinely thought it started somewhere else, and then it got put somewhere. And yeah, started on the internet. I mean, that's where the best things come from. They come from fans, and obviously, it worked because Geek and Sundry is still a very popular company. Yeah. Yeah. They. So. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the Critical Role started on Geek and Sundry. Okay. And that started as a birthday game for Liam. I didn't know that. Yep. It started as a birthday present for Liam O'Brien. It was supposed to be a one-shot. But because Liam and Laura share a birthday, they start, and he actually roped in Laura and Travis. And they all were working on similar things and just like, hey, you know what? How about we do a D&D game? The only reason it came to Geek and Sundry was actually Ashley talking to Felicia. Oh, nice. It. Yep. It's like, yeah, we have this homebrew game and, you know, maybe check it out. And seven years later... Look at where they are. Yep. They have a friggin' Amazon Prime show coming out. They have an Amazon show, Amazon Prime show coming out. So excited. They have their own studio. They have hundreds of people, well, maybe not hundreds, but they have a fair amount of people working for them. And that all started in someone's in someone's house. 
Not to mention that show's got David Tennant, Dominic Monaghan. Or th the 10th Doctor. Yeah, that's David. Dun, David Tennant is. David Tennant's the 10th Doctor. Yeah. Dominic Monaghan is one of the Hobbits. Which one? Pip. Oh. Or Mary? Or. Oh, uh, those two. I thought when you said Dominic, I thought you were like referring to a character David Tennant has played. No, 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 no. I was no, like, no. he's more well known as the 10th Doctor. Come on now. No, no, no. I'm being dumb. Um, but yeah, there's so many talented voice actors and talented actors in general that are going to be in this in this show that came from a Kickstarter made by its fans. Honestly, that's kind of an incredible testament to where D&D is now. Yeah. Not to mention all of its many, many offshoots. It was uh, Mary. Mary, oh. okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Pippin or Mary, but honestly, I didn't remember his voice being as deep as it was when they were... When He's he... got a pretty deep voice, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, I... I mean, people can change their voices up and down. <laughs> What? This was this was just his him talking during that um Legends of the Legend of Vox Machina. I haven't watched like it. it's the video that talks about the different how the different all the things that's going into it with the um guest stars. Yeah, I know I haven't watched it. I when I listen to his words like I can't tell if he's doing that for the character if it's that's just that's a, if that's just his actual voice because it sounded painful. Like the way his voice sounds like, is that your actual voice? I don't remember it being that deep. Because like they've done an interview with something and it didn't sound that, I didn't think it sounded that deep. Um, but yeah, in, in any case, that right there, the Legend of Vox Machina, is definitely a testament to where D&D is now among Along with all of its other, along with all with all the other um, games that have come out of it, because I mean, even just talking about tabletop, D and D spawned Pathfinder, it spawned Call of Cthulhu, it spawned so many other things, and then there are the different little modules. I think what the word was. And like the, I mean, like the Taldori one and the, uh, the, that's just critical role stuff. But like Acquisitions Unlimited or Incorporated. 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 Um, Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Yeah. But, and that's just to name a few. There are what, seven or eight ones? Seven or eight? And then Probably. there's a new one that just came out that was the uh, school one. Oh, yeah. Strixhaven? Yeah, Strixhaven. I want that one. That little owl boys. I was going to say, Brian, are you talking about the physical copy? I want the physical copy. I want the physical copy of Taldoi Unlimited, or Taldoi Reborn. I just want the physical copies of all the books. 
I also want to do a tell. I also want to do a tell Dory either tell Dory or Wild Mount based campaign. That would be fun. That would be fun. That's a that's also a world that I know fairly well at this point <laughs> because high hyperfixation is a thing. And it makes it so much easier than running around in a world that you're trying to create out of your imagination. Anyway. Well, for me, it's harder going off of something that was pre-created. I just gotta let my imagination run fucking wild if I want to get anywhere. Otherwise, I'll just get myself stuck up on little details. Meanwhile, I... Hold on, hold on, hold on. What's this one thing? I don't want to get it wrong. Meanwhile, I, like... If I'm put on the spot, like, my imagination just full stops, uh, which is why I like the pre-written modules. I so I like coming up with my own things. I do. I love being able to make my own homebrew. It's just also very difficult. Like our Thursday night game, I didn't have anything prepared. Like I didn't have anything. That I knew I didn't have anything concrete for that game, which made it difficult for me to. It felt like I was stilted going forward because I wasn't sure where I wanted you guys. I wanted, you know, it was just difficult to put anything forward. I don't necessarily like pre written modules or pre written campaigns or one shots even, mm-hmm. but having that basic framework for a world that's already there does make it easier. Like, you can look at, if you take, for example, the original Haldoi setting that's already part of D&D Beyond and all that, you can easily just be like, okay, you start in the city of Amon, but you don't have to use any of the pre-written modules. You can just take and use that campaign setting. So, I mean, there's a fine balance between using the pre-written modules, like um, Ice Spire Peak, or any of the the modules that they have that come in the the Exandria books. There's a fine balance. Oh, yeah. At least. And, like, I'm running Strahd on Mondays. Um, And... There, like it tells you, it gives, has good details on a bunch of the stuff on what to do. But I've taken a couple of liberties, um, and and I'm working to incorporate your guys' backstories and uh, and just trying to customize it a little bit uh, and add, just kind of add my own thing. Right. And then on Thursdays, I've taken to running. This is a, this is a stream campaign compared to uh, the Monday campaign that three of us. Haley's the DM for the Monday campaign, but myself and Brian are both in that campaign. That one's being that we're running, or Haley is running the pre-written Strahd campaign, Curse of Strahd, the new one that was. I used to up. run both. That's exactly. And that's a good point. Brian used to run Haley and their friends Monday campaign, Monday campaign, as well as the Thursday campaign. 
So now, for the time being, Haley is running Strub, and I'm running uh, our Thursday game, which is completely homebrewed. And that is difficult. But it's a fun experience. Yeah. And I've got other games that eventually I would like to do. Like, I want, I want, I want to do a Candyland setting. <laughs> the Candyland setting will be fun. I know. I'm excited. I just, I can't do two at once. I don't know how Brian did it. I, I don't know either. But I'm, I think I'd like to run one from a place, or in a world that is pre-built. So like take out Taldore or Wild Mount. Just to use the setting. Yeah. But I would do I wouldn't do anything I wouldn't do a module from it. I would just be like, so we're in Wild Mount. And it's not even necessarily going to be in the time that people are familiar with. It might be before the events of Campaign Two, or it might be after the events of Campaign Two. Campaign or two even, being critical role. Yeah. Or it might be uh Taldori, the Taldori setting. Just to have a pre-established place and be like, this is where you are! Here's a physical manifestation of that place. Because, I mean, that for me, it makes things visually more interesting and it makes it easier to, for players to see where they're going. Yeah. But, since we're getting into experiences, um, Timeless, since we're getting into that, Favorite moments, least favorite moments, moments made you want to quit. Um, yeah, we'll start with that, and then if you want to push into characters, character shit. Um, let's see, favorite moment right now. I thought it was pretty hilarious when Karnas shot Damien in the ass accidentally. Um, but there have also been a couple of fun moments in my Monday group as the monk. Because at a certain level, monks get... Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but... Oh, the, if, the, the when someone throws something at you, you can catch it and throw it back. And that's just always really fun and satisfying when that goes well. And you're able to catch something and throw it back and hit the person that threw it at you. Um, it just It feels so badass. Least favorite moment. Um, several years ago, we were playing. I think it. I think it was Strahd. Um, Brian's cousin was running it, um, and I was playing a tiefling bard, <laughs> a, a male tiefling bard. And um, at one point, like it was too difficult for him to keep using male pronouns for my male bard. So he decided that my character is a girl now. It's like, that's not what I'm playing, but whatever. I just, I went with it. Um, Cause what can you do? Uh, but that was probably one of my least favorite moments, but I don't think I've never had anything that made me want to quit. It's not deflect. Is it deflect missiles? That sounds about right. Yeah. If you reduce damage to zero, you catch the missile if it's small enough for you to hold in one hand, and have, and you have at least one hand free. If you catch a missile this way, you can spend one key point to make a range attack with a weapon or piece of ammunition. That's the one. So yeah, that's deflect missile. Yeah. 
anytime so I can use deflect about... missile is good. Because I know we were talking about it um, yesterday. Yes. Yes, we were. I think. Yesterday or the week prior about you wanting to have that ability again. But good news, you'll get it next level. It's one of my favorite monk abilities. It's a good ability. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you want to talk about with your characters? Like, um, characters you've had in class, if you want to have it, something you want to play in the future, or if you have a favorite class or race to play? I think it's safe to say Monk is probably my favorite class. Um, and I would... You've only run two. I would love to get to a point where I'm playing a level 20... Yeah, I heard the squeaking too. Okay, I'm just like, what the f- was that here or was that in the headset? I don't know where that was. Yeah, I heard, I heard the squeaking too. It sounded like it was coming from your end. Those freaking mites in the walls. All I'm going to say is coming from your end because I don't have Haley open on my headset. But I heard it out here and then I heard it come through yours into mine. I thought it was like a dog squeaky toy. I thought it was like a mouse. Yeah. And none of my dogs have their squeaky toys out right now. If it's a dog squeaky toy, it's got to be a loud one because it would be coming from upstairs. I thought it sounded like a mouse, and we do have mice in the walls. Huh. Yeah, okay. it's an issue. Mm. Anyway. Like anyway. Monks. I like monks. I don't know that I have a favorite race to play yet. Uh, I spent a long time as an Asimar. Kobolds are fun. Um, they're a good excuse to just be chaotic and i think i've played our kokra my, my current characters in thursday groups in our kokra um i think i played in our kokra one other time maybe two i like i like our kokras um i don't know that they're my favorite but i think they're the one i've played the most as you say you also have you like bird people, because didn't you say you were playing a Kenku guard? Yeah, I I abandoned that one. Or you, were going to, you were going to try and play it. I did a try. Kenku guard. I tried. It was hard. And now in that game, I'm a tiefling rogue. But that game's on pause. <laughs> fair choice. Fair choice. Good choice in the tiefling rogue. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was you know, appropriate and fun. You know, I mean, Tiefling <laughs> Road. You know, I'm not biased or anything towards no. Tiefling Road, right? No, now. you're not. not um, Brian, you want to pick up? Favorite moments, least favorite moments? Um, you, that made you want to quit? Favorite moments are just really wild DMing the players just kind of pick up and you can just sit back and listen for a long period of time. Uh, I really, the last moment that I really, really enjoyed was uh, Damien's last look at Alari, like through the burning tower because he probably knew he wasn't going to fucking see her again. Before, like, the smoke built up too high and you had to, like, keep moving up the stairs. I thought I built that up pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then they gave you so many outs to get the hell out of that tower, and you're just like, LOL, no. I'm gonna touch the explody orb, and then... Um, just jump out the window! <laughs> I'll think so, about that. So many outs! I'll think about that a bit. Um... I did like that moment because I felt like you, you and Kiss, uh, like respond to that pretty goddamn well, and everyone else is pretty like seemed pretty uh, quiet but into it, like oh shit, because um, previously no one had really. Okay, Raz died a lot in that game. <laughs> okay, but, but no, no serious characters have died yet. Those deaths for Raz, those were kind of um... Those are just comedic. Like, that was just Dobby dying left and right. There was no mean or cause for it. There was... You think Dobby yeah. dying yeah, comedic? Yeah, he was comic relief. He's not Smack wrong. you. He's His death wrong. was sad, not yeah, comedic! It was, it was sad! Yeah. But it was meaningless. <sighs> it was comedic in the sense that it was a meaningless death. <laughs> it was sad, but the way he died and him dying in the first place was meaningless. But regardless, um, anyways, yeah, I, favorite I moments? set him up for like a nice, like, oh, oh I'm gonna show off all my cool abilities, what barbarians could do, and he's like, nah, not gonna do any of my class abilities, and just slap someone around for a little bit and then just die. <laughs> <laughs> just like there's nothing yeah. I can do, dude. Um, he let himself get kidnapped. <laughs> Which is also why I'm saying a word. Which He's like, I guess I live with yeah. you now. Um, that, was that was one of my favorite <laughs> moments as well, because it was so that fucking was, stupid. <laughs> that was, it was amazing. Which is also why I gave him the warning in our our Thursday game last night. Of please alert your party members if you hear something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't want it. They're sleeping. They need their sleep. I'm just gonna go ahead and get kidnapped. <laughs> For our uh, listeners or people watching the YouTube video, that is exactly the moment it happened. That is exactly how that moment happened. It's like, no, they're sleeping. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to alert anyone. As it turns out, he did in fact need to alert someone because the very next session, he died. Now. In that, a very easily winnable scenario if he did anything. But that actually wasn't his fault. Because our cleric, him getting kidnapped, was his fault. Him dying was not. The cleric didn't exactly help matters when she used burning hands and he was directly in that cone. Yeah, and that's funny. Him being directly in that cone while he was already unconscious lost his two death saves. His last two death saves. One of my favorite things in D&D is people not reading the entire spell and what the ramifications of that happening in a small area. Because they don't... Most people don't realize... Or, you get excited about your spell. I get like, oh, this is going to do so much damage to the enemies. We're going to save the day. But... It's also going to fucking torch everything else in front of you, even your allies, because there, there's friendly fire. There's PvP, like, she could just have turned and started massacring everyone at that point. 
Pretty much. Become a bad guy. Whatever. I'm fairly certain we've had that fighters in the ass multiple times too. Not just in your, not just in that uh, campaign, but also when we did Ice Fire Peak. I think we had a couple of instances of something like that biting us in the ass too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, it's why I learned to read my spells to make sure that I wasn't gonna hit reading anyone. Reading spells is very important. It is. I recently had a player that's been with uh, me and Haley for, or uh, Timeless for five years playing D&D just now realized in his second warlock that Hex applies disadvantage on an ability of your choice. He didn't once realize that and he had a warlock up to like 13th level. Yeah, and I'm just like hey you want to do this as well? He's like I didn't know I could do that. He used to be a Hexblade warlock so he used to be doing like the Hexblade's curse oh, okay. which is different but he also uh, had Hex as well. But still, it's, I feel like a Hex is a big part of a Warlock spell list. And it was uh, interesting to see him not do that, op realize that was an option. Um, as for me being a player, I really enjoy the uh, class mythos of Paladins. They're more than just like the, you know, religious police officers people generally trope them out to be i'm currently playing a uh reborn undead paladin that used to be just a murderer slash mugger of the streets who uh got viciously killed but tormented to being revived and tormented not being able to die and his current quest is to redeem his soul so he can finally die. What'd you pick for his, uh, his oath? Uh, redemption. Oh, okay. That makes sense. He's not yeah. redemption paladin. He has to redeem his soul so he can <laughs> that makes sense. finally die. Oh, I'm excited for Monday. Uh, <laughs> a, big a big part of him is his soul is just trapped inside his body, but he's unable to control it unless he has these, uh, his holy symbol on him, which just sparks life into him, and thus also giving him his magical power. Oh, I keep forgetting about that. I need to remember that. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta steal it every once in a while, and I'll just drop dead. Which means it's probably you'll have to carry his ass. It'll be a good, like, mid-session panic kind of thing. It's like, what the fuck just happened? It's why we have a cart. That's right, that's why you have a cart. Um... <laughs> Races, I always really wanted to make a lizardman, because I love the idea of like scavenging your own weapons out of the bones of creatures that you've killed, and just like eating your kill, just being all uh, brutal like that. I've had a uh, lizardman ranger named Ka for years that I've always wanted to play. He's not like a powerhouse or anything, he's just a fun, like, swamp dealing swamp delling uh, alligator lizard man with like a little pet crocodile with him That's and really it's awesome. just I don't know it just sounds fun to me not showing my Floridaness or anything but he sounds like a fucking Florida man Florida I man I guess <laughs> Florida is nothing but swamp and we have Swamp Dwellers in the Everglades. 
<laughs> so, I mean, sounds like just a mutated Florida man. Yeah, but he's probably, probably a lot cooler than a, he, he's probably a lot cooler than a Florida man. Um, yeah. That's what I got at the moment. A class I've always wanted to play, but never really been, like, I can't figure out a good way to bring it into a character that make it interesting would be Barbarian. I've always wanted to make yeah. a Barbarian, but every time I'm making them, I just get bored making the character. And I was like, eh, no. I need a better concept. I mean, that's what I was kind of going with through with when I was making my backup character for the Monday campaign. Like, I want to play a Barbarian because, you know, they sound fucking awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm just like, I can't. And considering the race of the character, like, I understand that they do get, they can be vicious if you give them the right motivation. But at the same time, that particular race just doesn't lend itself. I mean, it does as far as its its traits do. It's a fur, so the the character is You haven't said the race, you should say the race. It's a furbolg that is going to be my next back, that's going to be my backup character for Monday's game. I, I'm choosing to do it as a barbarian of the ancestral guardian path, which okay. just seems to fit for our furbolg. And mm-hmm. it does, the race does lend itself to being good for barbarian because it has a plus two to strength. But at the same time, knowing that they are meant to be gentle, a gentle race, it's, Trickier to make that work. Especially now that you met Lemon. (laughs) Especially now that I've met Lemon and knowing what I know about calling to the uh, back to critical role, now that we know now that I at least know about Caduceus, I know about Kumat's soul, I know about Nyla. All of them are portrayed as being gentle if a bit chaotic. Caduceus a furball? Yeah. Yeah. The other one would be that would be interesting would be, have to be um, Artificer for that. I don't even know what to do with Artificer. I'm just refusing to read through that class. I read. <laughs> my best friend made an class. Artificer, and that became the bane of my campaign <laughs> of trying just to find something where he has trouble with. He's a fucking jack of all trades, and it. Pisses me out beyond all what belief. What was his subclass? Uh, Armorsmith, I think it was. I think so. I can understand and why. It's so oh, fucking. He he built it. I'm gonna just pull up his character really quick, <laughs> just to tell you how bullshit it is. No, I can. So that he can make whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. And I'm gonna just read you his stats. Yeah, these are off of point by, just so you're aware. But through the magical items he's equipped, his strength is 21, 20 dex, 14 constitution, 20 intellect, 20 wisdom, and 10 charisma. He just stacks items that buffs the shit out of him. He's playing it very smartly and very well. I'm not, like, penalizing him at all. He's just kicking my ass before I can even throw anything at him. That would yeah. even stomp him. The one time that made him useless was an anti-magic field. He's like, fuck, nothing works. I'm like, wait, what? Are you kidding me? No, yeah, no, I understand that completely. Because, like, I was reading 
Well, you know, because I'm doing the bullet journal thing for D and yeah. I'm doing D and D themed bullet journal spreads this year. Um, I was reading through the different subclasses for artificers, and that's my one for January. I'm just like, Jesus! What after they you? They're just a, a OP. They, they're just OP. Because like, incredibly OP. I, I don't know what through, to do with them. I was reading through like artificers, but it's like, even just the basic thing. You create a suit of armor that is magical that you can wear, and it does. You can, you pick one or the other to start with, and you can change it every long rest, if I recall correctly. Um, you can change it's. You can change it. Well, he's been changing his. I want to like, say throughout like, the day. I don't really know if he can I or not. Say like it was long. It was meant to be after your long rest, but. Yeah, I think you might be able to do it a couple times a day. It is just... It's disgusting. I can actually yeah. have Artificer pulled up right here. You said it's armor or battlesmith? Uh... Let me look. If it's armor... Protect... Male Protector Asimar Artificer 16. Let's go into edit, see what he chose. Uh, God, there's so many fucking things. It should be like right at the top. Armor specialist armor. Yeah, at third level, which is when you get to pick your subclass for the most part, you get the arcane armor. Arcane armor is ridiculous. Um, you can customize so armor model goes right along with arcane mo arcane armor. You can you can customize your arcane armor. When you do so, you choose one of the following armor models: guardian or infiltrator. The model you choose gives you special benefits while you wear it. Each model includes a special weapon. When you attack with that weapon, you can add your intelligence modifier instead of strength or dexterity to the attack and damage rolls. You can change the armor's model whenever you finish a short or long rest, provided you have smith tools in hand. And then it just goes into talking about what each what guardian and infiltrator do and you can add art you can add modifications at ninth level and then at 15th level you have perfected armor and based on your arcane armor gains additional benefits based on its model yeah he's got a standing armor class of just 24 yeah it's... and boosts up if he does other random bullshit that is it's seriously op it's brilliant, but it's seriously OP. It's, it's infuriating. Yeah. I mean, the other two choices I had said were... I think... What did I Because I've been talking to you about that, specifically. It was... Barbarian, Bloodhunter, or Cleric. For that one. But I'll get in, back into that in a moment. Cause, so, favorite moment... My favorite moments... I really okay. Shoot, Damien getting shot in the ass, which by the way happened in our second session of that of that campaign. Um, it has been the bane of his existence because like I constantly have a scar on my ass thanks to someone that has become my best friend <laughs> who was using something that he doesn't know how to use. He's got it figured out. 
You point it, you pull the trigger, and it bangs, and somebody gets hurt. Wherever you're pointing it. Now. <laughs> he knows how to use it now. Granted, you also rolled on that one on that roll. Yeah. Which is why he has that scar in the first place. The dice were um, not in your favor. Or mine. No. I mean, you're correct. They weren't in your favor, but they definitely weren't in mine. Because I think Damien, or I think, uh, Brian, you rolled for who that hit, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the dice definitely were not in my favor that night. Um, favorite serious moment though that was that moment with Damien and Alari was great. So our normal other host, our final kiss is also she also plays Alari in our normal Thursday campaign. Alari and Damien have a long history together, like through. A couple of campaigns. The first time that Timeless and Warden, Haley and Brian, saw their interactions was in the Ice Fire Peak campaign when I kind of got a little bit burnt out on my cleric not really being able to do anything because I didn't know how to play cleric at the time. So I decided to pull in an old favorite character of mine named Damien Morningstar. Um, but before that, we actually had created these characters as part of an, a campaign that a different friend had run at the time. And now Damien is currently bound to a ring. His soul is currently bound to a ring because of stupid decisions that he made. A wedding of, ring. A we yeah, a wedding. didn't have the chance to give to her yet. Yeah. Um, long story short there, between for Damien and Alari... Alari is currently carrying Damien's baby because Damien made this stupid decision to agree to something with a demon who possesses Alari, used, used to possess Alari. And, um, he, his dumbass didn't ask what the, day, what the demon wanted in return for information. Turned out it wanted a kid. And it's getting and, a kid. Uh, and it, it's getting a kid. So, yeah, at the moment of the campaign, Alari is currently pregnant, um, and she more or less, when in the scene that uh, Brian was talking about, kind of looked at David, it's mostly, it was kind of an unsaid thing of, don't go where I can't follow. Well, about that, no one else could get through the room that was on fire, which was the mage's study. David could because he's a tiefling. And he has fire. He is hellish resistance, which means he's fireproof, to an extent. It'll burn him resistant. eventually. He's resistant. It'll burn him eventually, just not as quickly as it would burn anyone else. So he alone could go through the room, and up the stairs. And his dumbass saved the mage's assistant before trying to tackle the mage necromancer specifically. And um, he he touched a he touched an explodey ball. That was a power word spell. And um, yeah, he's pink mist. His body's pink mist currently. All because he heard the name Bazanath coming through a portal behind the mage. He heard it in his his 
um, native language. I had to think of what the word was. He heard it in his, probably was also his first language, to an extent. And it didn't make him happy. So he was doing trying to stop the thing from happening. Even though it probably would have been better for him to, you know, jump out the window where his friends could have cast Featherfall and he would have survived that much better than what he did. But no, he was a dumbass. And now he possesses a ring. And a wedding ring. Yeah. Um, if you want to actually see all the bullshit that leads up to that, you can check that out on Time of Storm's channel on YouTube. Because... They're all recorded there, including the 19 episodes we spent with kobolds. So many kobolds. <laughs> you would have thought my favorite race would be kobolds, didn't you? Huh? Second favorite race. <laughs> um, I don't really have any least favorite moments at the, at this moment. I mean, granted, my experiences are, are also only with uh, this group. Really, I haven't. I don't have any in-game, or in-person experiences to draw off of. So, and I haven't had any moments that really made me want to quit, either. Because I've been blessed to be with such an amazing group. You're just saying that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, I only speak the truth. Liar! Um, says you. <laughs> um... Characters I've had in the past, well, my biggest character has been Damien. He's also my highest level that I've had. Um, currently, I'm playing a tiefling wizard in the Monday Night campaign named Aluna uh, Eclipse. I think what her name was because my brain's still partially mushy, apparently, like it is on every other day. Um, yeah, she's not traumatized, per se, but, um... Yet. Yet. Thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, it's Curse of Straw. Can't really say that it's not going to be traumatizing. She's generally good-natured. She tries to be... Yeah, that <laughs> shit right there. She generally tries to be good-natured. She tries to maintain... Uh... He's slightly happy exterior. She does not originally come from Barovia, but she's been there for over 11 years, so more than half her life. She originally came from a forest near uh, uh, Baldur's Gate. She came from a forest near there where her parents lived. She did not start life as Luna Eclipse either. That was a name she picked for herself when she turned 18, because that is a virtue name, which is something that tieflings pick out for themselves. Um, Damien is, I know I mentioned it earlier, he's a tiefling rogue warlock, which, that's what I was going to say, that's what I was saying um, on Monday, Brian. Damien as a warlock doesn't actually have hex in his, uh, in his uh, bonus actions. Looking at his bonus actions, he doesn't have hex. Because it's a it's a bonus action in this book. 
No, 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 I know. But looking at his character sheet on D&D Beyond, he doesn't actually have that. Which, hmm. when I was, because when you were talking about it with, uh, with your buddy, it's like, I had to go look at it. It's like, I don't remember ever seeing it. And lo and behold, no. It doesn't make this thing not to be a bonus action. Um, who's sharing their oh, screen? Shit. Me, sorry. Stop! Sorry, my bad. I, I, I vanish. I dismiss. You just became the, the watch now. My bad. Yeah. My bad, my bad. Yeah, that's Damien's character sheet. Yeah, I was going to look, but I didn't have access to him anymore. I don't know if you can still pull him up now. Yeah. But under bonus actions, it's not there. Not under spells. Which I would have expected that because um, he's a celestial. You don't even have Hex equipped. That would probably have fucking been why. That probably would have been. But I don't even know where you would have. You rolled a low perception check, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for a spell. Find, Find the, the spell. spell. <laughs> so. Yeah, all this talk about Damien and characters and yeah. stuff. Would you say you put some of yourself into Damien? I did. Damien is. Definitely a character that I've that I had a lot of me in. Strangely enough, he does things that I wouldn't have done, but for a lot of his his more basic personality traits were from me. Illumina is a more idealized. She's more idealistic. I am a realist and often pessimistic. I haven't really had much many anyone else to really compare him to. Um, as far as classes and races, I uh, apparently I, t I tend to lean towards tieflings. No, really? You'd naturally tell me you're a fa you're a fanboy of Critical Role. <laughs> <laughs> Who would think? Um, I. You. I was looking at the picture you, you screenshot you sent me. Um. I actually do want to play a goblin at some point, though. Because I'm finding I have a. Because of a story I had to read <coughs> for kindergartners on Thursday, it's like, I apparently have a decent goblin voice. You also got a good kid voice. I was telling Haley that after the game. I was like, Ark's got a pretty good little kid voice. I can do voice acting. I just haven't ever really tried to do, have the opportunity. And um, it, well, What's a setting all of you would want to play in? Ooh. Hmm. I've always, like, I've always wanted to play in just, like, a seafaring setting. I've tried to run it before. Be called the, uh, the Crystal Seas. It's one of my uh, other parts of the uh, world that I've made in homebrew. Yeah. But 
Like, I've always wanted to just, like, have, like, a pirate campaign where you just pirates or, I like, a royal navy. That would thing. be fun. I would be down for that. I, I love yeah. me pirates. I, I love me some pirates. Uh, I think a pirate-themed campaign would be fun. Um, I also someday would like to do Pugmire or Monarchies of Mao, which are both set in the same universe. Um, but it's where, for Pugmire, everyone's a dog. There are cats, but they like buttheads. <laughs> or, uh, so all the players are dogs for Pugmire. Monarchies of Mao, all the players are cats. And they're two different kingdoms of the same world. And I have the book for Pugmire, and we were going to run it, and then we, like, didn't. Um, it's probably my fault a little bit. Just over here. It's not. It's probably in the closet. I'm sure it's in the closet. Um, but we saw it at our at our at our uh, FLS game. friendly local game store. FLS. Um, let's try. my screen. Oh, that's not good. Ryan froze on mine. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, we saw it at our FLS one day. And I was like, I need this. And I bought it. And they were still in the process of creating Monarchies of Mao at that time. Um, but yeah, I'd like to do Pugmire. I mean, pirate setting would be amazing. I would be extremely down for that. I mean, my um, replacement character, part, part of English... Um, possibly temporarily for Damien, does come from your Crystal Seas area. For that reason, because I do love pirates, and also, you know, it made for an interesting backstory for them. Her. Yeah. But, yeah, I, moved my, I did my 200% of my move goal. Um, good job. Yeah. You're, you're doing it right now. <laughs> Woo. Apparently. Um, I guess... Some other interesting settings to me would be doing one, doing a campaign purely set in the Feywild. If only because that would make for some very interesting magical rules. And knowing that the characters, if they're anything other than Fey, have to be very careful about their uh, food and drink consumption. If you know anything about your Fey myth. Fey mythology. You and cannot... How, and how you speak to people and what you agree to. Yep. You have to be very careful about how you work contracts. You have to be very careful about how you treat other people. You cannot eat. You cannot drink. You probably shouldn't dance around a fire, a random fire. Because you can, you will never stop dancing if the Fey feels like making that a thing. That was a you plague. You will dance until you die. Um, the other one would be kind of would be um, a god, a setting where the characters are gods, but they're but it might be that their their abilities were taken from them. They're being struck down. They're struck down to a mortal form of some sort. Weren't you writing a story about that, something like that? Mm, possibly. They're writing it's, a superhero thing. That too. I was writing. I was writing a superhero campaign. I know that. Yeah. 
superhero campaign would be fun too. I know there's DC and Marvel versions of tabletop that do do that. But no, I might have been writing a story with something like that. I don't actually remember. I I write a lot of shit. I write way too much. <coughs> um, Sounds fun. It is. So going into the character aspects. Timeless, what about you? What do you do with your characters? Do you base any of them off for yourself or... Um, I want to say Solara was probably the one that was most based off of me, um, or how I would like to be in some ways. Uh, she is my Monday group monk. <clears throat> and then I feel like Karnas is like the chaotic aspects of myself that I don't let anyone see. The gremlin inside of you. Yes. Um, uh, there's, I definitely put aspects of myself into my characters. Um, I'm trying to think if I've worked, did I work with you on my backstory for Solara much? Um, Solara, no. Your druid, yes. When we first, when I got back into D and D, when when Haley started, uh, we made characters with a uh, tie-in backstories together, where oh, I yeah. did put a lot of myself into it. It was uh, his name was Rex Wormwood, a uh, dragonborn paladin, and I really enjoyed it. And we just never got to continue the game, um, but. Uh, my paladin and her druid were a couple, and it was we put a lot of our character ourselves into those characters. Yeah. And then you got ripped in half by a bat and looted mid combat by your best friend. Yeah. Oh. Before wow. the combat was even over, and we gave her so much shit because of that. We still I give mean, her shit because of that. I'm sure you've wait noticed. Till the combat's over. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that that's kind of fair. I do think um, it's... I thought of another moment in D&D, which I really love. Huh. Not necessarily a single pinpoint moment, but I got, I got a player that did wanted absolutely nothing to do with spellcasting to eventually make a wizard because they love the viability of spells and what they can do for the campaign. I got Maddie to be a wizard. All she would ever do is make a rogue. An archer, like, stealth Skyrim archer rogue. That's all she ever fucking made. And I'm just like, you gotta make something else. I know it's fun. You gotta make something else. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. So I was like, alright, let's try a bard. You can still be, like, super stealth, and you can also open up to everything else. And she started getting super into it and more into it, and... And then, and now she's now a wizard she is today. And now she's like, "Holy shit, I love spells!" Because <laughs> at first it's overwhelming. Which, yeah, the yeah, spell list in D and D is massive. Even at yes, like first level spells, there's so many to pick from. It is, and it is. even on top of that, you have like tens of cantrips to pick from as well, and finding out what 
you know, you know, some of them are just copies of each other with just different damage types or weird different lettering of words. Mm -hmm. But um, the amount of game manipulation you can do with spells in 5e is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, because even just talking spell-wise, the useful, what is the little hut? Demon's tiny hut? Yeah, tiny hut. Yeah. That in itself is a complete game changer, especially if you can get if you can learn that early enough on, mm-hmm. because that completely negates the need for anyone to keep oh, watch, which means no one gets an exhaustion point. No I one uh, call the uh, sleeping spells uh, "fuck you" DM spells, so you can't really mess with them during the night. Yeah, because like a wandering. Whatever. whatever isn't gonna have dispel magic it's gonna be like no. a creature or like a bandit or something there's not gonna be like droves of wizards going out in the middle of the night in search of just people to murder like that's insane yeah so it's like well i can't fucking do anything dude it takes a little bit of the uh surprise element out of the game i mean i, I get it the players are like oh we don't have to do a watch but it's like you're also missing out on a big part of the game of like you're camping out, you're roughing it, you're just an Avengering party, watching out for each other, versus one dude's yeah, like, I yeah, I got a house, let's just do that every night. And then they're yeah. saving a spell slot every day. So then your goal becomes to make them use all their spells just so they don't have the uh, safety of the long rest. And then they can start getting paranoid. And that's where I have a lot of fun with is when players just start getting paranoid that I'm going to do something. And then you don't fucking do anything at all. Just make them get that little bit of panic in. It's like, oh shit, we're not safe tonight. Something can happen. We're already low on, we have no spells, low on hit points. Fuck. Yeah. And that's uh, a really good part of D&D that I enjoy. Well, and then, on the flip side though, like, the Tiny Hut is definitely a fuck you spell, because they're safe, they can't be messed with by anything. I mean, Mordenkainen's Mansion is a similar thing in that aspect, but the opportunities it provides for character building and for, oh, the, yeah. role, for the roleplay aspect of it, that one, that spell is definitely a great spell for that. Because, like, it also gives you, I mean, the first time that they go into that mansion, it definitely is like, okay, hands off, have, hey, wizard, describe your, describe your mansion. What do the rooms look like? What are the, you, the banquet tables, like, the walls, like, what describe are your, your whole, like, you have a mansion in your head, what does it look like? What, and, and then just... you have your unseen servants and any extras you've in- included, maybe, like, training grounds or... Or I guess as in, um, I haven't seen it or heard, I've heard a lot about it, like the critical role one, like the library, the rooms of nine or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, Caleb Woodgast's tower is pretty, he did a long time of uh, note taking and researching to build that specifically for his other, uh, yeah, uh, for his other group mates. And it shows and they're like choked up when they first see it they're like oh my fucking god you did all this because like yeah. he took notes of like little things that they like and like 
uh, really engaged with, Haley, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> eventually. Uh-huh. I only know about this because of fanfiction. <laughs> uh, but, like, they... It's a well-deserved payoff when you finally get there in the oh, critical yeah. role. But most tables don't roleplay as much as they do. Yeah. I would love it if we could have, like, so many sessions of just roleplay, because that's my favorite part of D&D. Absolutely. I definitely, no, fun. I definitely prefer the roleplay-heavy sessions, whether it's the game we're playing or for watching Critical Role. Yeah. Yeah, roleplay is... Like combat's fun. It, it it breaks up it breaks up sessions. Yeah. And it it there can be a reward to it, even if it's not a material reward. Cause even in combat you can have those moments of care of character development where the character that you, the characters you think hated each other suddenly realize that, hey, there's one of their party mates, their event people they're adventuring with, is about to get ran through by a sword or they're, uh, someone's about to shoot an arrow from them, at them from behind and there's that moment where you're just like do I just def- keep defending myself or do I rush to my party mates excuse me, my party mates aid and it's that split second decision where you're just like fuck it, I'm gonna defend them maybe they take the arrow, maybe they take the sword, the blow of the sword maybe they block the blow of the sword or they pull the monk shit catch the arrow and send it back. Yeah, but stuff like that... But stuff like that is major character development, too. Um, but roleplay is... It's the actual storytelling element. It allows you to build the story. You are not... Because DMing or playing as a character, that is the major... That is the bread and butter of it. You are not just telling one a, a story by yourself. That is where the story collab. That is where the story collaboration really begins. Is in the role play, because with you and your party mates, you begin to put the pieces together, figure out the deeper story, figure out what's who's behind what and how to fix it. I mean, it's also a way to make your idealized world. Now, in some cases, the idealized world for players is being murder hobos. Which are not as fun, but it they, gets old real fast. It does. It's but fun it's for to... the first session. Then it's like, all right, this is going literally it's, nowhere. I suppose it still has its pieces in some cases. If you need to become a murder hobo, it's also extremely tenuous dis- on the DM. It's also disheartening too. Yeah, it's like, oh, my players don't care. Yeah, Not any of the story I'm trying to tell, they just want to hit shit. Oh, sorry. I, might said, I did pick. read a a story this week about this guy who was uh, brought on to DM for a group, and all they wanted to do in the game was just go fishing. Oh yeah, I read that. And, like, he's like, I don't know if they're having fun or not, but they keep coming back and saying it's the best session ever, and I don't understand what's happening. But all they do is go fishing, so I guess they're having a great time? If I had to guess, they probably think it's the best session ever because they've had DMs in the past who are, like, forcing a story on them when they just want to go fishing. He's like, oh, there's uh, people attacking the town? Nope, going fishing. 
there's a, a huge evil happening around. And I go, oh, nope, going fishing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, if that's what you guys want to do, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as both the DM and the players are having fun, that's where it really comes in. Yep. It's a matter of making sure that one person isn't having all the fun. Um, actually, in, in that same sense, there was, I, it, it actually is what inspired a homebrew rule, homebrew rule, old child speech impediment comes, sometimes it kicks in and you can hear it when it works flow together. Um, when it comes to your final death saving throw, when you're about to fail it, you have, you get a single action just one action no reaction no bonus action combat stops and it's in these final moments the final moments of the character's life and you get to do something with those moments and like i think i sent it to you Haley. i don't remember if i did or not but I, feel like I, know, did. I know i told you about it um so the person that i found the tiktok from talked about the fact that it's entirely up to the player how they make use of it. Um, the example they gave is that the cleric and was down. The cleric was already down. And this person they were fighting, it was like the fifth session, and they are fighting, I think, a warlock or something, and the warlock was already on like four, four hit points. So he was planning on taking someone down with them. I don't know if it was... I think it, the other player was a warlock. Um, and the warlock was already down too. So, the, the uh, enemy went after the cleric, thinking, you know, I'm going to take them down. Cleric could have gone and chosen to take the person down with them, but instead decided to revive the warlock with their last breath. Now, the warlock and the cleric had not gotten along. But the warlock did, after the combat and everything was said and done, the warlock was like, hey, I remember there being a place in town that we can take the cleric or druid or whatever it was to revive them. And the characters' relationships after that were so much stronger than they were before. So... Shit like that inspires great homebrew rules, too. It's honestly an incredible thing. It's like, I love that. If we have, if it ever comes to that, hopefully it won't come to that for a long while. At least not for a few more sessions. <laughs> That's something I've always wanted to implement, but I always forget in the moment of when I'm killing a player. I always forget, like, what is your final moment? What are you doing? Yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes for a really dramatic and RP moment where yeah. you can get one last fuck you or like you have a great a, bit, a chance to roleplay something. And I always forget to do that for my players and I feel bad. Like, besides I mean, killing them. But <laughs> most, I mean, most of the time it's their own damn fault. <laughs> it was my own damn fault in that one session. That's I will not admit. just you, Ark. Not just I know, you. I know, I know, not just me. No, no. Quite a few of those for Raz. 
Raz, if you're watching this, we love you. We yeah, have to we harass. We do. We have to harass you when it comes to your characters because <laughs> poor decision making. It's not just on me. Um, but no, you. I was gonna say you did actually kind of give Damien his final moments because he did get. He is getting some form of goodbye with Alari. He's still around. And he probably will eventually have that real final moment where he makes a he makes a completely rash, I'm sure, decision. But it'll be a moment that is cemented in that the legacy of that game for a very long time. Because yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but. Your game on Monday takes place, what, 200 years after our game? Something like that? Uh, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, I mean, and that, I mean, taking information, I mean, Haley can't because, you know, player, but you could take information from our game and whenever that finally ends, which we still have no idea, um, or how it's going to end. And you can use that information in the sessions on Monday from that point on, too. Um, I have plugged a couple things in to the Monday game. Like, way back when I first started doing the Thursday game for you guys. I have plugged a couple things in from Thursday into a Monday game. It was It's always, like, little details. But the main, like... The only reason it's set 200 years before is because you guys are on a quest to steal a sword from a, from a yeah, museum, which I said was stolen 200 years ago. I was like, that'd be a fun quest to do, to have you guys go off to do That's incredible. I don't think like, anyone really gives a shit about stealing the sword, <laughs> which is my fault. Not anymore. At least not currently. Yeah. No, the current quest is try to get Damien's body back. <laughs> I... Damien, by the time they got to Katal, Damien was just like, let's just get the sword and get the fuck out of here. And then you didn't. And then we kind of got fucked. Because Karnas got dragged into the arena. <laughs> and Damien's dumbass went after him because he's like, oh, they're putting... That's the elf girl we were kind of traveling with, sort of. They're putting her against, up against that. Well... Guess what we're doing, Karnas? We're going to help. <laughs> Karnas is Damien... all for that. <laughs> and then Damien got knocked on his ass by Chimera? I think it was a Chimera? I don't even remember uh... what it was. I don't even remember what it was that actually knocked him on his ass. It was a ass. lot I... of things happening. It was a necromancer that had revived so much. Or brought back like the previous beasts of the uh, fight before it. Because uh -huh. I hadn't cleared out the bodies yet. It on top so of, like, various AoE effects going on inside the arena as well. It was so much. But I think the thing that actually knocked him on his ass and almost got him turned into a puppet, I think it was a Chimera that actually got the blow on him, but I don't remember. Would have to go back and listen. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, it just all of those things are it's incredible. Just and this game is just incredible. It can be used and its uses honestly are amazing. 
Oh yeah, that's a great teaching tool, great therapeutic tool. There are actually companies that have uh, been created with the uh, goal of using D&D in a therapeutic setting, um, one of which is game to grow mm-hmm. And I first heard about them when I was just, I was working night shift. And they used to be called Wheelhouse Workshop. And I was just looking for, like, group uh, uh, group ideas to do with the kids. And I was looking up, like, therapeutic D&D stuff. And I came across Wheelhouse Workshop. So I was like, it'd be so cool to use D&D as therapy. And someone already did it. And then they were at PAX that year. That year that we went. And we that was the year we went to PAX. And they announced their new name was Game to Grow, and they're just this really awesome company, and I love them. And it used to be my goal to work for them when I was still doing the the, the psychology uh, behavior career path. But it's still and really you're on the path of being an animator. Yeah, and you graduate this year. I do in December. What you're coming down here for. I sure hope so. I have to convince my mom because that's money. Um, but if she wants if she wants me to walk for the graduation, she's got to pay for it. And maybe like. Yeah, say, well, <laughs> if she wants you to walk, you have to come down here. Yeah. Not down. Not Tampa, but Orlando. Yeah. But, and I will gladly come up to see you. Okay. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Don't worry. I mean, me and Smitten. We'll die, you and Smitten. And then we're going to kidnap you both, bring you back to Oregon. <laughs> Money! That is what. That, that uh, we're kidnapping you. It would require money to actually stay up there. Yeah. It'd be fun, though. It, it would be fun. I'd be. I've been telling you, I would love to be in an in person session. I would love to have an in-person group because it would be amazing. It would. It'd be awesome. And knowing the group that if I end up in Oregon, Oregon, no one knowing the group that I'd end up with most of the time, probably all the time, because let's be real, I would never have a dull moment. You wouldn't. And I know a lot of you guys would love for me to be up there. Yeah, it'd be fun. You can just sleep in the fifth wheel trailer outside. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you can pick up a job. Schools are hiring. Have a place to live. It's fine. Yeah. What's the problem? What are you? Chocolate. Timeless. Schools are hiring. Is not necessarily the thing that I actually want. I know. Hear. I know. <laughs> You other, know it as well as I do. Other places are hiring. All the places are hiring right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I can get if I can get a remote gig, I would freaking take a remote remote gig, especially if I can find a way to transfer up to a different place. That'd be cool. Cause fuck Florida. Fuck Florida. Fuck Florida. So I mean, like, I know I have a friend that's, I think, trying to talk me up at her job. Like, I fit the application, and she's put in the referral stuff for it. Now it's just a matter of seeing when it goes through. If it goes through. Hopefully it goes through. 
because then because I'd be completely remote with that, and I I don't know if Capital One has a place up in Oregon. I'm sure they do. I'd have to look, but I could easily save up money and just be like, guess where I'm moving. I'm I'm sure they have a place in Oregon, and I think some companies help with uh, Uh, moving stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, back on the subject of what the implications are for D and D, even using it for school, because like. And this was something that I remember from when we were doing we were doing that seminar for Game to Grow, the 101. They were talking about it in the sense of a school setting. Mm-hmm. It can be it's a good math t- it's a good math tool because you have to because you add your modifiers and all of that. It's a good way of it's a cre- good creative writing tool, which we've seen from um, the various charities like A two six. A, the A26 company, which I would love if they had one down here in Florida, because I would work for them in a heartbeat. Um, that was actually a really... <laughs> yeah. I, I see. Uh, I coughed. My bad. I, I see that. I see the cough. Um, but, like, creative writing, teamwork, teamwork is a big one. And you need teamwork in a school setting a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, <laughs> the, the one implication we can probably talk about when we get down to our last topic, which we're not to yet. And then, of course, we already talked about the. We touched on this earlier, but the different web shows that have done so much for uh, D&D as well. Like Critical Role, Dimension 20, Adventure Zone, all of those, and I'm, I know there's tons of others. Oh, yeah. But those, those were the first two that came to mind. Those were the first two that I knew off the top of my head. I'm sure if I go looking for more, I'll be able to find them easily. And I know there's a couple. I know there's a lot of them that are actually being led more by um, POC or BI BIPOC. BIPOC. Yeah, by BIPOC that are being led by those content creators by and just making sure that there's a more diverse cast, which does get to be a problem in some cases because there's not enough content creators like that. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. ahead. Uh, There's a lot of people that give Critical Role flack because they don't have more um, BIPOC in their game. But then the people, defenders of Critical Role, like there are tons of other campaigns that are run that have BIPOC running them. And um, thinking about Critical Role, like it's a they they're a group of friends. They started as a group of friends, and they're still a group of friends. They're just broadcasting their show, their game, kind of thing. And on top of that, it's hard to make a change like that when you've got so much history as a group of players. And I mean, they are first and foremost a company. Well, even then. 
they are first and foremost a group of friends who know each other very well. And it's honestly amazing that they still give the people the opportunity to experience those home games. Because that is still what they are at the base at their core. It is home games. That is what they built themselves off of. Now those home game those home games are a lot bigger than they used to be. But even still, even their guest spots, they have a lot of people that aren't out that are outside of their usual friend group. And actually these are probably friends that they've made through voice acting and acting. Like Abria and Robbie and uh, Mika, um, Kari, 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 Ashley Birch, Ashley Birch. Uh, oh, uh, Rothfuss. What's his first name? Pat Rothfuss. Yeah, yeah he's in campaign one. Is he? Is he? Yep. I didn't know he's that. He's in campaign one. He's uh, near the end. Oh, okay. Or middle to the end. I don't I mean, remember what his character is. He's so, the dude um, with the massive beard. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Mangelio. Mangelio? Mm-hmm. He's a big D&D fan. And he's... He has a big part in the end of Campaign 1. That yep. I do know. I don't actually I know who he you. is. We really... Okay. He's mostly known... Unfortunately, for um, his role in Magic Mike and its sequel, I haven't seen Magic Mike. Never once seen him. I know. I know him as uh, a guy that's been on a muscle magazine. Yeah, he's yeah. also known as a very—he's very well known as a fitness buff, or I think he was a bodybuilder at one point. Okay. Yeah. To an extent. But he was also well known for being a nerd. And he actually, there was a thing with a, another wrestler at some point. He might have I remember seeing that. He's I like, know. I think it was, I don't know about uh, Joe, but I do remember seeing a thing where some wrestler uh, talking We're shit. Talking <laughs> that's, who, and Joe Mangelio yeah. countered him. He's like, come play a session with me. Yeah. You might have some fun. But there's also a football player that is uh, that the Critical Role cast follows and have befriended because he was actually a critter. He's actually a critter. Who? And, I, don't... Uh, I don't remember what his name. I don't have follow, I follow him now. I don't really follow football either, but it's like Jonathan Stantonos. He couldn't watch the opening. He couldn't watch... Session one of of campaign three because he was in the middle of a game. Oh, <laughs> and he was he had a very good reason for not watching because he was in the middle of the game and he got like a touchdown. He got a couple of touchdowns, and during one of it, he actually did some kind of salute for crit for critical role. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it was really cool, and he's now started his own campaign because of it, and. He's got a couple of other football players in on it. I think they're teammates of his, which is really awesome. Just like that's cool. I think it's... See, even. Go ahead. There you go. There you. <laughs> I would say I think it's cool that Vin Diesel likes D and D. Yeah, that too. Vin Diesel, Terry Crews, but see, that's Vin just it. Vin Diesel is the reason for the Blood Hunter class. 
Oh, is he the reason for it? Yeah. Matt, Matt made it know. specifically for Vin Diesel. Because Vin wanted to play uh, uh, a witch hunter. Huh. To promote his movie. Huh. It's on celebrity, celebrity D&D. That makes sense, actually, now that you say that. Considering what that class does, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, Terry Crews, Vin Diesel, there's a lot of actors that are feeling more comfortable showing their nerdy side because of stuff like Critical Role. And it's cool that you have people like Joe Mangelio and football players and other sports people. I, I'm guessing they just aren't Probably. as vocal about it. But that they're now being comfortable being like, hey, look, this isn't just a, this isn't just basement dwellers. It can be enjoyed by everyone and it can be enjoyed by anyone. You just have to pick up and play and find a group. Yep. Which is easier said than done sometimes. Yeah, I was talking to someone, uh, I think yesterday, <clears throat> who's saying that they were having trouble finding a group. And I was like, oh, well, Rule 20 has a function, I'm pretty sure, where you can find a group. It and does. there's various Discord so servers. It beyond, actually. Does it? Discord servers, Facebook groups. There's yeah. there's ways to find. Yeah. There's, like way to find, there's ways to find groups, in person or not, but in person's not exactly safest at the moment anyway. So, now, we're coming into the last little bit of our, of our podcast for the evening. The fun part of the podcast. The controversies in D&D. Yay, controversy! The biggest one, of course, besides stuff with Gary Gygax that is less than savory and his son, is what has been known as, known since it happened, Satanic Panic. Yes. Uh, really? The Satanic Panic, it's actually funny. It's a funny story, I think. Um, so, in the 80s, D&D &D was super popular. Um, this this group of college students were playing it um, when they weren't doing their homework and having a lot of fun with it. And this university that they were at had some, like, tunnels and whatever underneath it um, that, like, air went through. But I'm assuming they were pretty sizable tunnels. Anyway, one of the students went missing. And so his parents got a detective on the case. And the detective, like, couldn't figure out what happened to him. And he's like interviewing his friends and he's like and he found out that he every night him and his well I don't know every night but you know him and his friends meet pretty often for for Dungeons and Dragons and he's like oh well he must be missing because of Dungeons and Dragons he got too engrossed in the game and the fantasy that he thought that he was in the game instead of in real life so he got up and he wandered to uh, he he must have gotten in the tunnels underneath the school and went missing there. But of course they searched tunnels and they couldn't find him. But that article where that detective said that it was because of Dungeons and Dragons that 
people read that. They started getting freaked out about Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, oh no, this is a dangerous game. And <clears throat> that evolved into our our children are summoning demons and worshiping devils and all this other insane stuff and um the college student was fine he got overwhelmed with the pressure of college and changed states and he just didn't tell anybody um then with second edition of D&D they actually began to remove the images of devils and demons from the covers of the books because uh, they, because they were getting negative reputation <laughs> over something that they had no control over. Um, but of course, naturally, the satanic panic actually boosted the sales because it's like, oh, this sounds neat. <laughs> well, let me go against my parents' wishes and play this game. Yeah. Who, who doesn't want to defy their parents every once in a while? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm just gonna say things that, and it, it's just like it's like you know, you worry about your children summoning demons with D and D, but you don't really need. Well, for one, you've never tried. If you say that your children are being led by a dungeon master to summon demons, you've obviously never either a seen an actual session happening, or b never actually DM'd a session. Understand how hard it is for a DM to even wrangle your, care, wrangle your players to do something. It's like herding cats. Let alone trying to summon a demon? Like, no. It, no, you're... Trust me, you don't have to worry about that. Besides, if someone really wanted to summon a demon, all they have to use is a fucking Ouija board. And Hasbro makes those. Hasbro does very make readily, those. Very readily available for ages three and up. I thought it was like eight. I'm not mistaken. I think it was eight. 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 My you should be eight to summon a demon, but 21 to drink alcohol. And 18 to vote. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we want to read that thing you found about that person's experience with this? Yeah. Okay. And we can, put, we can put the... Um, let me pull that back up. I still have it up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, for our viewers on YouTube, we'll post... Uh, I'll post the graphic, um, but we're going to read it out loud for our listeners. This is not any of our stories, just as a heads up, guys. We found this from the Facebook group that I think all three of us are in. I don't uh, know if, if you're yeah. both in that group as well, but... Um, this is just from a Facebook group that we found, or that we're all in, and it's someone recounting about, someone else is talking about the fact that Satanic Panic drove the value of their books up and their all of their stuff up, and then it's a, it's a share, it's something that they shared talking about someone who, someone's experience with Satanic Panic. Yeah. Um, oh, and as far as the beginning of the Satanic Panic, there was also an evangelical con man in addition to the detective. Um, but I don't remember the details of that. Nope. But, um, but that should really just speak for itself. Yeah. Um, do you want me to read it? 
Uh, if you want to read it, you can, or if you want me to read it. Um, this is uh, from, uh, I think it's a Reddit screenshot. For, from it, looks like, it looked like it, yeah. JCM Rickett. Deep breath. When I was 13, I had briefly come to live in the woods poor. My uncle came to NC and took me to a hobby store where I discovered an Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition Player's Handbook. A game with no board. Infinite possibilities with only a book and some dice. When I was 14, I was house without electricity poor in a dumpster and, by chance, I happened upon a full bed box of modules, dice, miniatures, maps, and campaign settings. A literal treasure hoard for someone who reads books by flashlight and flushed the toilet with water from the neighbor's hose. When I was 15, on a cool spring night, my mother invited me out back. There she stood in a semicircle next to my stepfather and the neighbor. In the middle of them stood a metal 55-gallon drum. Inside were all of those modules, dice, miniatures, maps, and campaign settings. They set it on fire and made me watch. It's the devil's game, the neighbor told me. Two years I had collected. Two years I had either played or planned daily, drawing maps of places I'd never visit, creating characters I could love or hate, exploring dungeons and wilderness and being the hero and the villain and everything I'd never get to be in my fucked up, wasted, impoverished, abusive existence. And the flames had reflected off their righteous smiles. I've never forgiven my mother for it. I doubt I ever will. In that barrel was everything. Almost. See, fate had a different plan. I continued to play. Daily. I continued to plan daily. Running covert games for my friends, hiding my maps. How? Friends. Amazing friends. They'd caught wind. Their parents were talking. Like severing a limb trapped under a rock, I ripped the cover off my original player's handbook my uncle had bought me and put the cover on another source book. I took my first set of dice, like choosing which children I'd save from slaughter, and I hid them. I hid them well. I still have that player's hand handbook. That was 25 plus years ago. But the importance of that decision, of those friends who warned me, they can't be understated. Dungeons & Dragons was more than a game to me. It still is. Dungeons & Dragons is an icebreaker. It's friends bonding. It's an invitation not only into someone's house, but into someone's mind. It's a powerful creative social experience. With a book and dice, we could fight dragons. We could overthrow future dystopias. Race through the streets on Tron bikes to untangle political espionage. Sail among pirates or among the stars. We could be anyone from anywhere. It's the reason my children exist. While my parents brainwashed while my parents brainwashed by the satanic panic were bent on destroying my world, I held on to the one thing that allowed me to create my own. Yeah. And I think in some I can't back this up, but I feel like I've heard things like some parents still hold on to that satanic panic. Uh they do. I've heard my fair share stories. I mean, this is not directly related to D&D, &D, but my an ex-friend, former friend, old friend's mom actually didn't want her hanging out with one of her friends 
just on the fact that she wore, like I do, a pentacle. And that is still part of satanic panic today. Because they look at stuff like this, or stuff, even stuff like this, as symbols of the devil. And they know that it's all because it's an alternative to what would otherwise be a Christian, or not even necessarily Christian, but a fundamentalist lifestyle that is strictly by the books, or strictly what is expected of you. The people that play D&D, the people that have always played D&D, are not in the norm of society. They are on the fringes a lot of the time. And it shows. The people that you see in D&D are not who you would expect to see in most social circles. We're the nerds, we're the outcasts, we're all of that. But now, not so much. You never, you can look, you can't look at someone and say, oh, you don't play in D. You never know. And Satanic Panic won't have a place in the future. Nope. Not sure if, won't. Not if culture has anything to say about it. And because it's becoming part of mainstream culture, that's going to help in the long run. Which is why I don't understand why people just like, oh, don't go mainstream. That's how you survive. That's how your game gets to thrive. Like, yep. if, you, if, if Dungeons & Dragons hadn't gone even somewhat mainstream, it would already be dead. Because there was enough pressure that it could have very easily died in its, in its infancy. And now look at where it is. It very nearly did die. <laughs> it very nearly did die. Multiple times. Yeah. Satanic Panic was only one of those. Yeah. Now we're coming to the... Uh... <sighs> the fun. If you think Satanic Panic was bad... Um... Yeah. But also, fair warning for... Um content a little bit nothing major but racism homophobia sexism transphobia ernie gygax anything that's gonna set off any kind of not pleasant feelings in you we're sorry in advance but this is stuff that unfortunately still has to be talked about so listen with at your own risk just as a warning um, I mean, racism is, do we know if Gary Gygax, Gary, uh, Gary Gygax had a history of racism? I know he had a history of sexism. Um, he, I mean, I thought I read something about it. I know if you look at the cultural representations in D&D, it's there. And he he's he would be the one that put it there. That's why I'm asking if he actually was known for it. But yes, if you're familiar with any form of D&D, then you will know that there are races that have been regarded as inherently bad or evil or villainous. Orcs, uh, drow, 
um, goblins. Just to name a few off the top of my head. I know there's more than that. Um, oh! Half- Hmm. No, additional content warning. Um, rape. Because I kind of forgot about this one. But ha half orcs were always, you know, um, stereotyped to be the product of a violent happening. That's where they're. That was the main backstory that was used for half orcs for a long time. I did not know that. Yeah, I read it. So I, I don't. Take it with a grain of salt, just based on the fact that, you know, the history comes from the internet, but it would not shock me, based on the fact that orcs were portrayed as an evil race until these new rewrites have been coming out. It would not shock me. And I think that's part of why the history of orcs and half-orcs has been rewritten, about why... Half orcs exist now. I could be mistaken, but still, it. Mm. But I mean, you could say that for <sighs> violence is not necessarily based on one race in D and D. Any rate, most races have can have a pension for violence. It's all about the character, not about the race. Which is what, which is not what it used to. Be. It used to be that, oh, this is evil. This race is evil for this reason, or oh, this race is evil for that reason. Case in point, um, beholders. Beholders are. Beholders are racist. Beholders are racist. Like that hasn't. I mean, that actually hasn't changed, if I recall correctly. I don't think that's changed. I know there was there was some change to it. But yeah, no, Beholders are racist inherently. That is one big example that I had forgotten about until just now. Because they regard any ra other race, and they regard this actually goes for other Beholders too, if I recall correctly. I think so. That they, if for one Beholder, they are the absolute perfection of Beholders. Any other Beholder is lacking, or any other race is lacking. But stuff like that is just like mm, needed a change, and the whole thing with Drow being that they, excuse me, that they are all inherent followers of Lolf is mm, no. It just racism was still kind of is rampant in D and D, but DMs. Are not getting are getting to the point where they don't stand for it anymore, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and like players don't necessarily play into uh, the stereotypes, the stereotypes of whatever race that they're playing. And now I want to actually go back and fact check what I was telling talking about with the half orc thing. Okay. Um. So I found it's on Wikipedia. Um, and it talks about the ways different 
real cultures are depicted potentially problematically in D and D. Um, while Ark is looking up, looking that up, I will talk yeah. about this. Um, so. In early editions of D&D, humans were coded as culturally white, and in the illustrations were also depicted as white. This was in both the first and second edition of the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. You never, you never see a non-white adventurer. Um, and there were supplements that did depict non-white people uh such as the in 1985's oriental adventures it uh depicted oh, yeah uh it depicted asian culture it's uh and now the base human is a, is a black woman yeah. Of which I have heard a story of that got someone into the game as well. Nice. Like, oh, shit. I, I found can see myself in that character. I found something with it. Um, so, it actually, that whole thing with the advanced player's handbook is actually where it introduced half orc characters as well. Okay. So they sound from evil and su- seemed suited to it. That's 1978. Those first edition rules limited a half-orc's top level in every class but assassin. So only half-orc assassins saw much play. Author Gary Gygax surely figured that evil half-orcs would have a knack for assassination, but the combination lacked much appeal. Orcs bring strength in battle less not cutting in methodical planning. Assassins fueled conflict between players and the role concerned some parents, so second edition dropped the class. At first, Dean... D&D pictured orcs with pig faces and described them as evil bullies willing to breed with anything and eager capture and eager to capture human slaves. Which is where that whole thing with rape comes from. That makes sense. This led many people to conclude that half-orcs came from rape. Which is unfortunately a big, seemed like a big narrative for a lot of from a lot of things that I've read, that that was a big narrative for the longest time. Um, the half-orc history in the game suggests that D- the D&D team shied from featuring a playable race that implies a dark background of sexual violence. As designers wrestled with the half-orc's backstory, the race came with the first and third editions of the player's handbook and left with the second and fourth editions of the handbook. So it was taken out in second edition, but brought back in during three, and now and then it was taken out again and only brought back with fifth edition. Interesting. Um, I'm just looking to see if there's anything. Uh, still, oh, that's interesting. Still, rather than explaining half orcs as a product of human human orc interbreeding. Fourth edition made them a completely separate race. As backstory, the Players of Handbook 2 offers a menu of mythic explanations to choose from. 
For example, perhaps the part as part of a god Grimish's savage essence fell to earth and transformed a tribe of humans into a new species, so on and so forth. And then where it comes to 5th edition in this case, 5th edition frees half-orcs from their darkest implications by developing the nature of orcs. Their evil and savagery stems from their devotion to Grimish and their so their gods. Orcs follow a faith that preaches blood and conquest, backed by actual gods able to give followers divine powers. No wonder orcs so behave so badly. Outside of Grimish's influence, orcs can escape savagery. Most orcs have been indoctrinated into a life of destruction and slaughter, but unlike creatures who, by their very nature, are evil, such as gnolls, uh, it's possible that an orc, if raised outside the culture, its culture, could develop a limited capacity for empathy, love, and compassion. They're saying limited, limited capacity. But not, that's, I don't even see it as being limited. Difficult to understand unless they're raised mostly by their human parents. Yes. But that's the whole nature versus nurture thing. And that's that's a little deep for D&D. <laughs> yeah. And then there's and then there's the fun topic. Um You froze on my screen. There you go. Did I oh. oh maybe I just wasn't moving. <laughs> no, it was frozen for a second. Oh, but okay. it, it fixed itself pretty quick. Um so, sexism in D and D. Yeah, sexism. Uh <clears throat> I found a fun little article called The Misogyny at the Core of Our Hobby. Um and it has a it mentions a quote from Gary Gygax himself. Um so Gary Gygax was a sexist, um, and he himself said that he didn't think women would be interested in D&D because their brains function differently than men's. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, uh, I honestly wonder how well that went over when first said that I don't know. really do wonder I can't imagine considering the fact that it was 1970s and a lot of the one of the big movements at that point was feminism the first wave of feminism I can't imagine that would have gone over very well yeah. um so this is a screenshot from a website. <laughs> I, I can't tell you what, because I, I don't know. Um, but someone asked him directly. This was in 2002. Um, uh, what he thought about women in role-playing. And he said that out of a hundred or so different players in his campaign group three were females um he his daughter was an original playtester for the first draft of what became D&D &D, 
both her and her younger sister lost interest after a few months. Um, Gary Gygax is a biological determinist. Um, oh, that explains a lot, actually. It explicitly says, as a biological determinist, I am positive that most females do not play RPGs because of a difference in brain function. They can play as well as males, but they do not achieve the same sense of satisfaction from playing. In, no sh in short, there is no special game that will attract females other than that LARPing, which is more socialization and theatrics and gaming, and it is a waste of time and effort to attempt such a thing. This calls a mind to when Lionel made pastel-colored trains and train cars to appeal to females. The effort bombed. The sets were recalled and re... Redine? Re I think it's a ty typo. <laughs> Redone as standard models, and those pastel ones that survived are rare collector's items. So much for this topic. Cheers, Gary. Yeah, that biological determinist crap. Yeah. Should just tell you all that you need to know. Yeah. So should his use of the word. Email. And I mean, this was also, again, more socially accepted. Was back in that time period. 2002. Females. This was, this was 20 yes. years ago. Yeah. But That's still, the, that, that makes sense still. That was still very accepted. The word females, and I mean, him being a biological determinist makes sense that he used the term females anyway, even in today's standard, but yeah, myself, Timeless, and Kiss will all tell you, actually, I, I don't know how I'm, we haven't done a poll of this in GSG, but the word female, for at least for me, I can't speak for you or Kiss, completely but it, it's like it's not nails on a chalkboard but it just it sets my teeth depends on the context just, for me and, and there's ways there are times where i'm just like i mean woman-owned business doesn't sound as good as female run yeah but i mean saying a shop it, it does depend on the context like saying a shop saying a shop run by females. Just, you could very easily replace that word with women. A shop run by women. Makes sense. Female run, female owned business sounds a little bit better than woman owned business. For some reason, I don't know why it just sounds better. Probably a grammar thing. It, it might be a grammar thing. But it, it's just in certain contexts, the word female, when it's not necessary to be used, just sets my teeth and it's like, why? I get that it's a scientific term, but you don't have to use a scientific term in everyday speech when it doesn't have anything to do with a scientific thing. And that's not to say anything of his determination that women don't enjoy D&D &D because it's not social enough. 
Yeah. It, it's super social. How do you expect to play if you're not social? Oh, but I did have one more. I had one more thing to say. It's like your daughter's lost interest after a few months. Could it just be that you're a terrible DM? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure you prob that probably had something to do with it. Not to speak ill of the dead. Or the creator of D&D, but... It's okay to speak of the creator of the thing that we like. Yeah. And recognize their problems. Yeah. He was a terrible person. Objectively. Did he create something beautiful? Yes. But you know what? Just like with Harry Potter, just like with a lot of fandoms, it's not the creator that takes ownership at that after a certain point. It's the fandom. And the yep. thing that's keeping this game alive is the fandom. It's the mainstream attention that it gets. <laughs> you had something you wanted to talk about with gender early, by the way. You had oh, mentioned it. Yeah, I... Uh, brought it up as my least favorite moment um, when I was playing in a game as a, a male tiefling. Um, oh, okay. And the DM was just having trouble with the with the using the the masculine pronouns, and so he decided that uh, you're magically turned into a girl now. And yeah, Gross. like it's frustrating, like. I'm playing a dude. I had the biggest penis. <laughs> Which, for reference, um, another fun moment in our game, we all rolled charisma to see... We had a dick-sizing contest, and mine was... The, as the only female player, I had the biggest dick. That's something to be proud of. I'll see. Yep. And it got taken away when he decided that I had to be a girl. I would have stopped playing with him at that point. We eventually stopped. I, I would have looked at him like, I'm still a dude, or I walk away, and you lose your bard. Just because, no. I get misgendered enough. I'm not going to stand for that shit in a game where I'm playing an idealized version of myself. Not that... The tiefling bard was an idealized version of yourself. It wasn't. But... I was just having fun. <laughs> well, yeah, but but still, it, it's that whole principle of the thing. Yeah, but that does actually bring up a good point. I've read, I've read stories about people who are male, who are cisgender male, to start playing, deciding they don't necessarily feel that they are male and a way that they've chosen to explore that is by using D&D as a way to uh, excuse me idealize themselves to make an idealized version of themselves and they're doing that through trying out different genders because there's someone I, there was one story that I read I think on Reddit somewhere I talked about a dude who's like, 
yeah, I figured out that I was that I actually that I'm a trans woman through playing through playing female characters in D and D. I would never have actually had the courage to explore that otherwise. And she's like, "See, it's a thing." That's but that's also goes back to the mental counseling too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then there's Ernie Gygax Jr. The transphobe. Yeah. So he recently um, created a company called TSR Games. And if you remember from earlier in the podcast, uh, TSR is what Gary Gygax called his company. But uh, they're not the same. They're two different TSRs. Um, but he was basically talking about wanting to run a, a gaming, run a game, have a game where, uh, people don't have to be afraid of, um, a live and let live kind of setting, uh, no, that's wrong. That's the relationship he has with TSR. The original TSR. Um, where is it? Um, basically, he no, made some... Like a no snowflake... No, it was basically no snowflakes allowed or something like that. Probably. That, that wasn't the actual phrasing. No. But that's basically what um, the implication was. Uh... He said, there's a ton of artists and game designers and people that played TSR, and recently they were dissed for being old-fashioned, possibly anti-modern trends, and enforcing or even having the concepts of gender identity. All I'm trying to do is fill the strip mine, allow this fertile soil to produce more games and products again. So, um, basically, trying to create a game for people who have old-fashioned ideals um, and old-fashioned concepts of gender identity or whatever. And a trans woman actually tweeted on, as a reply to his tweet, asking him to voice his support for the trans community, and she got blocked and TSR Games, Ernie Gygax's TSR Games, denied that he did anything wrong. Yeah. The long and short of it is that he got his panties in a twist because the fact that people disliked what his artists were drawing for certain characters. Which, you know, people have their own opinions. And I'm not saying that characters should that there aren't characters that are male or female. There are. But there's also ones that are in between. And gender is a con gender, here's the thing, is a social construct. Meaning that it's created in our heads as part of society. If we didn't live in society, we'd have no concept of gender. We might not even have a concept of sex. And sex itself is fluid. 
Because there is not just X, y, X, X, and X, Y. There is, I don't know, upwards of 300 combinations. Because you can have X, X, Y, you can have X, X, or you can have X, Y, Y. You can have X, Y, X. I will not be going into all of the combinations because no. That's a lot. It's a lot, but you get the idea. There is a shit ton of chromosomal chromosomal combinations that can result in a lot of different gender or reproductive organ uh, display showing. However you want to say that. Mm -hmm. And that's not even to talk about the fact that there that have to deal with having both sets of reproductive organs or being for or and this is a thing that still does happen today their doctors choosing what their sex is when they're born and doing it an invasive surgery to make that make it so so if for example a doctor decides oh this child is female and they have both parts they take away the male parts there was a really good episode of house about a kid that was born with both parts and the, it was i don't remember all the details but i just remember the way they did the makeup on the kid like some shots they'd look more male and other masculine. shots they more masculine and other shots they look more uh, feminine and um I feel like it ended with the kid getting to choose, but I don't remember. But that's just it. The doctor doctor should not be making that choice. Like they're not even ask it's not even a matter of asking the parents at that point. Which sometimes they don't even ask the parents, by the way. But it's not the parents' choice what their child's sex is. They are just intersex. They are born with both, and if they decide that they're, they're, the way their body presents isn't comfortable for them, that's when surgery should be pursued. Not just on, not on a whim. I mean, the same arguments made for... Um, Um, the surgery that's done on baby boys. Oh, circumcision? Yeah, that one. It's the same argument made then. It, it's in, it should be entirely up to the child if they want to be circumcised when they're older. Yeah. But that's, that's a topic for another time. Anyway. <laughs> yes. There's a whole rant that could be had about gender and sex and all of that. Maybe that'll be another podcast. Later. That'll be a yeah. podcast June. We could do that for June. That would make or sense actually, for June. Or I'd have to look at when um Genital train... Mutilation June podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Amen. Um I'd have to look at when Trans 
um oh trans awareness month well not day trans but yeah that but that month the month that's for trans history and and all of that i'd have to look that up because that'd be an appropriate that would be an appropriate conversation to yeah i mean even for june it'd still be an appropriate conversation to have because that's an overall it's pride month at that point yeah either that or october because that's history yes um i have an idea of an of a of a guest i i would like if we uh talk about um trans stuff i would love that because it'd be a new it'd be a new buddy yeah she's awesome i think you'd like her Oh, is this your, um... This is Maeve. Person? Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, Surprise it's me. Brian, is there something you haven't been telling me? Um, yes. so, final thoughts? Um... Not about other podcast ideas, but about... Uh, Dean's fun, go play it. <laughs> That's yes. That's a good final thought. Uh, yeah. And don't if if you find a group and they suck or they just don't mesh with you, don't give up. Find another group. There's a group for everyone. I'm pretty sure. Um, and also come watch my uh on my 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 YouTube Timeless Storm, and on my Twitch Timeless Storm. Um, D and D do D and D games. Thursday nights at possibly starting at eight. Possibly eight. ADST, 5 p.m. PST. Yes, I um, have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. We do have to talk about that. Um, D&D is the best thing that you could possibly get yourself into. Like Timeless said, don't give up if your current group doesn't mesh well with you. It happens. But don't let people dim your light. Take the light that you have and do use it to spread good in the world. Use D&D as a way to amplify that good. Use that to take a chance and maybe help you find a new outlet. Even through a character. Maybe a character you create can help you find a new passion. And the only wrong way to play the game is to take away someone else's fun. Yeah. Number one rule in D and D: have fun, but don't don't take away other people's fun. Yep. And uh, join us next week, next month, not week. Sorry. Sometime next month. For our podcast on relationships. Did we see the twentieth or something like that? I don't remember, but we should get a group created. Um, we should. We should get a, a new um, document created. Yep. Honestly, yeah. this, that, this might be one that I sit out because relationships, and I have none. I mean, you can still offer your opinion. Yeah, maybe. All anyway. Right. Thank you all for watching or listening or 
uh, yeah. Whatever those are the options. <laughs> Whatever media media you find us on. And follow us. And um, we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye, guys.